Welcome to Wine and Murder Night, a podcast where two friends discuss and drink about our favorite cozy mysteries. I'm Carolyn Wilkie. And I'm Sabrina Marshausen. I think I got a really good do on that one. That sounded really NPR to me. <laughs> I suppose I I sound nothing like the BBC World Service, so <laughs> fine. NPR. <laughs> my aunt, so I, you know, I've been trying to get everybody to listen to this podcast. And I made my aunt listen to it. And she was like, and we were trying to talk about like how you were in grad school and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, she's probably going to go work in the EU because, you know, she's a German citizen. And she's like, wait, what? I thought she was British. <laughs> and I was like, you need to listen to the backlog, Aunt Paula. Listen to the backlog. <laughs> uh, actually, that's funny. Uh, one of the new teachers at my high school, who's never met me, uh, he asked me what I did, and I was like, I'm a French teacher. And he goes, uh, are you from a French-speaking country? And I go, no, I'm German. And he goes, oh, well, you had an accent. And I was like, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> you tried. You tried. Oh. So, speaking of grad school, my, my grad school is Uppsala in um, Sweden. And uh, just like all Scandinavians, the Swedish love licorice. So, um... And as do most Germans, actually. I don't know, it's a Northern European thing. And um, I was craving some of these mints called Lacker Earl, and they're like, Lacker means sweet. And I don't know, mm-hmm. oil actually means beer, So, it, but it doesn't have anything to do with it. Anyway, they're mints. And so I ordered some from this these two Swedish sisters who do an import-export business out of California, and I ordered my favourites. I ordered like uh, raspberry, lemongrass, and cassis, uh, which is blackcurrant. But then I went out on a limb and ordered this one called Special, and it was licorice menthol, and I was a little scared. <laughs> and and then I tried it, and I was talking to my Finnish friend, and I said, "This tastes like a menthol cigarette dipped in black licorice, but it's actually quite tasty." <laughs> no. All of the words that you just said in together is an abomination. Yeah, I don't know. They're actually quite like I thought. No. Okay, the menthol is really no, aren't. the the menthol is really really strong. I, <laughs> I know, I know. The menthol is really strong, and then you get the licorice flavor, and it's actually quite good. But the menthol is very strong. Like it sticks in your throat forever. Like, forever and ever and ever. And I actually am quite addicted, and I only got a box. So I'm going to have to order another few boxes. And I got this other one, but... um, No, no. I know. You have to try it. It's actually called Special. No, I don't have to try it. I have zero desire to try it. Literally, the first (laughs) one I ever drank Jägermeister, I almost threw up because it tasted like black licorice. And it, I mean, it, it was like the first shot of the night. I had never, I hadn't had anything else to drink. Like it was very much not like I'm too drunk and that's why I'm throwing up because it's gross. No, it was because it's disgusting. Do you remember I when we went stand. drinking at that German person's house? You drank that disgusting, like Pepto-Bismol color liquor all night. And I was oh all Oh God, about, it was awful. Uh, was, it was awful, but it was still better than anything that would have been licorice That licorice flavor. alcohol that I was drinking. Yeah, no, um... I, I am fully indoctrinated in the licorice sweet thing. I know that's weird. Oh, but no. I guess I guess that means that when I do... Soon you'll be eating fermented herring. I already eat fermented herrings. So... <laughs> uh, what? Yeah. Oh no, Sabrina, we've lost you. Well, no, you never had me because I was, I was, I was German to begin with and they eat fermented herring too. So I'm, oh, I'm already lost. Oh. I'm already lost. So inevitably, when I move to Iceland and live in Sædisfjorda with my Great Dane and my Norwegian forest cat, I, you know, <laughs> I will sink in immediately into that licorice. I mean, they banned sugar and chocolate in Iceland for a long time, so everyone just ate licorice. And now, oh, yeah, I know. This explains so much. I actually, so in Knitting Club, I actually have <laughs> um, two Icelandic ladies uh, and one who is actually from Tajikistan but she was a refugee and ended up living in Finland and Iceland for quite a while Mm -hmm. and uh, they all fucking freaked the fuck out over those um, chocolate covered licorices yeah 
That's like their thing. I actually got one in the box from the Swedish ladies in California, and I, um, that's, actually, no, the tea I had this morning was a licorice raspberry tea, and I put a little milk in it, and it tasted like raspberry chocolate. So actually, I'm fine. I'm gonna go to Iceland, and everyone's gonna be like, you're not Icelandic. I mean, I know you're brown, but, like, you're not already (laughs) Icelandic. No, I definitely, I'm gonna be fine. Oh, man. Well, speaking of living in other countries, that ties right into today's episode of Father Brown. But before we get into it, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a uh, Chardonnay from William Wright. It's a William Wright Chardonnay from Monterey County in California, 2016. I got it at Aldi for $7. Gosh. I had... I had to have this conversation with another friend of mine today. I'm like, okay, I love you. And I understand that like, you know, sometimes you money is tight and that's no, fine. No, 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 darling. My mother buys all my wines and she refuses to spend over $10. So that's, but that's because she li- used to live in Europe and where wine is a lot cheaper. That's true. But, but it's cheap wine is good. Tent. $10 wine. It's $10 wine is where, where you actually hit that sweet spot. Actually, you know, this Chardonnay's not terrible. We'll talk about it at the end. Okay, but I have to tell you, I accidentally ate a special mint before drinking it, so <laughs> it, kind of changes, it kind of changes my opinion on everything. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking uh, a Castle Rock Winery, a uh, product of Oregon, uh, a 2015 Pinot Noir. Yeah. This is one of my wines I got from my housewarming party uh, not did too you, long no, ago. So did you get it as a gift? See, I, I did. I find bringing wine to a party so gauche. Uh, I don't, I can't do it, like, because, well, okay, for dinner parties, I guess. Well, like, yeah, if your mom buys your $7 no, wines. No, 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 obviously for a, housewar- for a housewarming party, you buy wine, and that's good, and you buy good <laughs> wine for a housewarming party, but, like, a dinner party you should never bring wine to, because the host will have already matched the wines with the food, and you're saying, I don't trust your opinion on wine. Now, dinner parties, oh, no. I actually go all out for wines. The wine I drink myself, I drink a glass and I pour, basically pour the rest out. Like, I'm not, you know. <sighs> gotta, gotta cook with it. Gotta cook with it. Especially since you've got white wines. You can make a lot of really good marinades. Oh, I do. I do. I occasionally make myself some sauces with it, but usually not really. I just dump it. <laughs> Are you ready to get right into it? Of course I am. I have so many things to say. We are talking today about Father Brown, Season 1, Episode 2, The Flying Stars. And we get right into our cold open with Mrs. McCarthy and Father Brown. They're heading to the Adamses mm-hmm. for a party. And Mrs. McCarthy is prattling on about how she's going to be late, and Father Brown keeps dropping coins out of his cassock because there's a hole in it. I don't know. It was weird. It was a weird little scene, I thought, because she was, like, talking about how she can do all this sewing, and he's like, why don't you sew it up for me, instead of, like, yelling at me. But then also, at the same time, if you're such a progressive priest, sew your own damn hole. He would have known how to sew, seeing as he was a chaplain in the World War II, so he would have definitely known how to sew. So yeah, it was kind of weird that he was leaning on such kind of sexist tropes. But then again, he is a priest, so yes. it's kind of one and the same. It's kind of weird. We also get to see a brilliant diamond necklace being put around a woman's neck mm-hmm. by a five British actor. Cheerio, back soon. I don't know somehow. I wish I love you. That's why I cheerio. Not goodbye. She's our five British actor. No, he is. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so then her husband comes into the room. Yeah, that's I had him written down, too. <laughs> he starts basically talking to her about um, the drink, and Annie is an alcoholic, and all of that. This is actually when I had to pause it and look at him up, because I was like, I know your face, but I don't know where you're from. This is another five British actor with cozy mystery royalty credits. Yes, Death in Paradise being... Yeah, one of his most recent, but he was also in 
two different episodes of Midsummer Murders. Yep. And he was also in Inspector Lewis. Yep. And he was also in um, Death in Paradise, Midsummer Murders, Inspector Lewis, and then there was another one. Foil's War! Yes. He was in Foil's War. Which is what you care about. <laughs> I love Foyle's War. No, that was a great show. Definitely. Not a cozy mystery, I don't think. No, no. Definitely a great show. Yeah. De- but he, I feel like he's typecast in all of these. He plays the same character. He plays a military man. Yeah. I mean, he's got the posture for it. He's got the face for it. So, yeah, I guess that's just what he does. Which is fine. thinning hair for it. He, he also looks like somebody else. So he looks like um, someone from Game of Thrones. So it's always like one of those, are you him or are you him? No, you're him. Okay, uh, there you go. So. Yeah, he does. Uh, Stannis, I think? Yeah. Yeah. He looks a little bit like Stannis Baratheon. Yeah. He turns out he has been threatening Annie, uh, the woman with the diamond network, like, diamond necklace with a divorce. Um, for her drinking, but she's a devout Catholic and would just like, this is a Catholic marriage. Yes. This means till death do us part. Oh, she literally goes, the only way I leave this marriage is in a coffin. Yeah. And he's like, well. Yours will come sooner than you think. Which is a, a dig at her alcoholism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, I'm threatening to kill you in front of the servants. So then we go straight to young lovers making out against a tree. He's another five British actor. And he's he quite, is? yes. Well, if you are British, he plays a villain in a very long-running soap opera called Emmerdale. He actually, uh, he's quite good at it too. He plays Robert something or other. And he's quite good in it, and he's quite a bad guy, and he's he's also bisexual, so there's like an undercurrent of his, like there's a backstory about his sexuality. It's very good. It's very good. Anyway, so he's actually another five British actor. But only, only if you watch British show poppers. Which I do. Is he British? Yes! You thought he was American. I I actually am proud, have proud, you know, been very proud of myself of like spotting the British playing the American, but I didn't catch it. But I think also he had like no dialogue. That's true. Also, um, he was born in Dubai and lived in the United Arab Emirates for a long time. So um, he might have just not been around British accents for a long time. I should look that up. Mm-hmm. But um, I recognize him instantly from Emmerdale. I, it's only been around since 2014, but it's, it's actually, for a soap opera, it's quite good. I'm a bit surprised he doesn't have, like, a, a headshot on IMDb. He doesn't, but if you look him up everywhere else, he exists as a human. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guessed. <laughs> so, what we find out, though, is that Ruby, the young lady, and uh, Emmerdale, John Van Ert, yes. are is secretly engaged and we're hoping to announce it today at Ruby's birthday party. But as they say this to Lady Felicia, who has come upon them making out, uh, Annie, Ruby's mother, comes storms past and is like full on drunk ranting about how they will never get married. Yes. And the the whole objection really ha- that Annie has is that he's her tutor. And yes. they're like completely different. Not only classes. that, but she calls him a trot, a Trotsky, so a communist. Yeah. So during World War Two, communism wasn't actually the the evil, and post World War Two in Britain, communism wasn't actually the evil that it became. You know, with the Cold War and things like that, um, it did. But communism isn't quite that horrible c word that it is here in the United States. So it's quite interesting obviously capitalists and upper classes would find that problematic and even the priest has problems with it um but it's it's quite interesting that she just calls him a trot because he is he's a communist and but it's not like you're not marrying him because he's a communist you're marrying him because he's lower class american and your tutor well so this 
would have been in the McCarthy era of the U.S. Of the U.S., yeah. Not quite. So Britain was watching this like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a whole, like, backstory here of of John being basically kicked out of the country. Yeah. Because he's a communist. Yes. And we, I don't know if they put, like, a full real date, or they haven't yet so far, I don't think, put a date to Father Brown. Yeah. The show. It's, it's, it's during Britain's post It's early 1950s. Yeah. We know that. And the McCarthy era in the U.S., which I did just Google, like, I didn't know this off the top of my head, don't, don't feel bad. It was in the 1950s. I mean, whatever. Well, it was from 1950 to about 1954. So this would have been right about then, yeah. too. For context. Yeah, so communism was not the same evil in England as it was in the United States. Because, well, the Russians did help during World War Two. Mm-hmm. And, and at the time, they didn't, I don't think, quite understand just how bad Stalin was to his people. Once again, Russia could do whatever Russia wanted as long as it stayed in Russia. It was when Russia decided to gobble up countries around it and be, you know, Russia, that it became a problem. Or the USSR, that it really became a problem. But, you know, it's the same thing with, like, Kuwait and Iraq and Rwanda and um, Somalia. You can kill your own people, but if it spills out outside of the country, it's going to become a problem, which is, Mm -hmm. you know... Its own problem unto itself. Yeah, Yeah, that's quite problematic anyway. get to see a lot of our favorites from episode one so uh lady felicia is the godmother of ruby yes. and Susie is the maid for the adamses yes and we find that out because she answers the door when uh father brown and mrs mccarthy show up and she's like oh i'm sorry the party's canceled you know the missus isn't feeling well <laughs> Which is the excuse they're going with. Yeah. But really what they see is, or what's going on is, you know, obviously she's pretty drunk. Mm-hmm. She's apparently had most of the bottle of vodka. And um, John is basically packing up and leaves and he's like trying to get Ruby to come with him. And I thought it was interesting. It was like, so Ruby is apparently 17, turning 17. Mm-hmm. Or I assume seventeen. Yeah. The idea was that she needed her permission to par- her parents' permission to marry because she's not old enough. Mm-hmm. But he was like, "Well, just come with me anyway." Who says we need to be married? It's the nineteen fifty. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that line. I was like, okay. <laughs> I know, right? Like, oh gosh, you know, it's still the clearly the nineteen fifties when you're seventeen and thinking about getting married. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> They go straight from that line to cutting to a shot of Annie's dead body floating in the pond. And that's actually finally when we get to title. This was a really long open. Yeah. Like a really long open. Yeah. You know, um, shows that do that are really interesting. They want you to be immersed in the in the moment so you kind of forget that you're kind of watching the show, that you're instantly in tune and, like, paying attention. Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting because it doesn't... I mean, we've only watched two episodes of Father Brown right now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know you've watched the whole series, but I've only watched, like, four episodes total, and I don't really remember them very well. But the first episode didn't do that no, at all. no. So it was one of the, it was kind of an odd thing. And I'm wondering if they just want to always get to the dead body. So I guess we'll, that's a, a thing I will have to come back to as we watch more Father Brown. But I thought it was really interesting that they, they did that. So Mrs. McCarthy is comforting Ruby is, uh, as I wrote him in my notebook, Hugo shows up. My ringtone is the 2014 Musketeers theme because it's so great. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I can do rewatch that show. I've watched it twice already, all of the seasons. So, you you know, I don't care. I'll watch it again. So, um, every time I think of it, I, I do think of Hugo. 
I do think of Mr. Spears and Inspector Valentine, who I forgot was named Inspector Valentine. I did too. That's why he's Hugo in my book. (laughs) (laughs) My ringtone is actually the Life Forms song that um, Data sings in the first Star Trek The Next Generation movie. And it's kind of hilarious because like every time it goes I'm like oh god I gotta answer my phone really fast before people realize just how nerdy I am. Uh, see mine's quite obscure so everyone's just like oh that sounds really nice and I'm like thank you I'm a nerd. <laughs> it's either that or the uh, Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song because you know because Thor Ragnarok. Uh, and also a great song. Uh, Inspector Valentine basically, like, looks around at the scene and just goes, Nope, unfortunate accident. How sad. That's it. So anyway, the next day, as they're getting ready for the wake, everybody's in mourning colors, uh, Lady Felicia fills in Father Brown about Annie's alcoholism and just basically how she was super duper drunk. Mm That day, and that's kind of why everybody's being a little tight-lipped about Mm. the situation. But she goes, speaking of peccadillos, oh, that's a word. I had to look it up, honestly. Oh, did you? Because I had... It was one of those things where once I looked it up, I was like, oh, right, I have heard this before, but it was one of those things, it just doesn't come up enough. I am one of those people that I'm fairly plain-spoken. It it kind of belies my accent because people with my accent are not this plain-spoken. But peccadillos for me just means fetish or kink. And so Felicia, <laughs> Felicia is saying, speaking of kinks, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, So Felicia. here's the, the official definition is a small, relatively unimportant offense or sin. Mm-hmm. But it does typically, but yeah, it's used a lot these days for like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have a specific, like I have a very, very specific sin. Yeah. Oh, it, I loved it. I love Lady Felicia. She had some great hats too. And I love how um, Father Brown, like, lets it get away with adultery. Like, straight <laughs> up. Because adultery is not just the actual act. Adultery is the coveting of something with your heart, even if you never go through with the act. If you think about cheating on your husband every day for a month, that's adultery. Every time. Every time. Maybe she's just really forthcoming in the confession booth. I mean, she's just really open with her... Adultery. Speaking of, <laughs> they uh, spot a man in the graveyard uh, mm-hmm. kneeling at a uh, grave, an older grave with a plain, simple cross. And he introduces himself as the brother of Anne Marie, the long estranged brother, Uncle James. And he hasn't heard about her death. Meanwhile, Ruby kind of is really upset with John for not coming to comfort her after her mother's death. Because mm-hmm. as we know, John stormed out right before they found the body. Mm-hmm. He's just really being pretty insensitive at this point. Yeah, Americans. Americans are not very... No, see, no, 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 not in general. But Americans in British television shows are always insensitive, uncouth people. Which... Tells you all you need to know about what the Brits think about United Statesians, as I like to say. <laughs> um, but, um, and since they very rarely get an American to play an American, what British people think about how to play someone from the United States. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, he did have a shockingly good accent, though. For me, he didn't. I don't have a very good American accent. <laughs> uh, but um, when I try it, there are things that British people do to put on an American accent that that instantly pings. The little R, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I do it with my students, when they're like, talk like an American, I go, roller coaster. Because for me, <laughs> that word right there would ping anyone instantly as not being from the States if they couldn't say it properly. Uh-huh. And so that's one of the things. So his R put me instantly, because he was overdoing it. When you mm-hmm. play an American, you have to overdo your R because you guys have this obsession with that fucking letter. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we say it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I don't know if that's really an obsession. <laughs> that's true. You do say it and we need to say, you have to say it. So it's, it's very obvious. And there were other things like it was, it was very stilted. 
And that could just be the 1950s style of how Americans talked, which is true. Mm-hmm. That's one, if you listen to radio and television, that's just kind of how they talked. But um, it wasn't bad, but it was obviously not American. So they head out really to awake Uncle James in tow. I'm assuming that's what it's called in Catholicism. I don't know. Oh, yeah. The, yes. So they head over to the wake, Uncle James, and Ruby comes in late because she was talking to John, but she doesn't recognize him at all. And we find out the reason that she doesn't recognize him at all is because he had spent the last 20 years in uh, Kenya, or as Lady Felicia would say, Kenya. Yeah, we stopped saying that after like the 70s. That's an, like I'm like I know why they make shows in the 1950s so they can get away with saying racist, sexist, homophobic shit, and that's one of them. And every once in a while, you'll hear somebody actually say Kenya as if they didn't get the memo, and you're like, oh, oh let's let's sit you down and tell you why that's racist. But yeah, it's Kenya. I didn't even know that was racist. Um, it is the colonial pronunciation. Of uh, the nation, so it, it's quite. It's like still saying Peking. Oh, uh, okay. So it's it's kind of like that. So it is. So one thing I did actually find out. So one of the references that was completely lost on me, so I had to look it up. Father Brown talks about uh, Happy Valley or like Happy Valley treating you well. Mm-hmm. So I googled it, and apparently there was this entire set of people uh, from, you know, Britain who went in to colonize Kenya, and the Happy Valley set was actually literally like a group of kind of high-class... Definitely aristocrats. Layabouts. Yeah, they they were just layabouts. Layabouts, but not only that, they were really well known for basically like being super um, sexual and have kind of decadent, like drug-filled, hedonistic lifestyles and stuff like that. There was, uh, you know, the the poet Vita Sackville-West, her cousin basically ran off to be in the Happy Valley set. There was a murder. Like, it, um, but also what pinged me was that, um, Uncle James did not react to that joke. Yeah, and it almost, it felt like, especially once I looked it up and knew what he was actually saying, I rewatched the scene and it almost felt like he was trying to judge him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, is this Happy Valley, is Happy Valley treating you well? And then seeing how James reacted to that as a moral judgment, mm-hmm. not any sort of uh, suspicion or anything like that at this point. Yeah. I'm always looking for clues. So um, we'll talk about this when the, the did you figure it out thing. And this was actually one of the, this was actually one of the clues that I was, mm-hmm. I saved to make sure that it wasn't a red herring. At that point, the Colonel says that he's been meaning to redo the dock forever, that it's really slippery out there, whatever. And so... And the the rope is too long and blah, blah. So at that point, uh, Father Brown goes out and, like, starts testing the boat. <laughs> that little scene was adorable, too, because he was like... He looked like a ninja. <laughs> it was so great. With his little... With his cassock and yeah. everything, too. Like, that was my favorite... That was absolutely my favorite he's, scene in the entire... He's silly in a good way. And I like his silliness. It was a great little scene, but he does find blood on the oar. And he figures out, with the help of Mrs. McCarthy, who's doing her usual, what are you doing, Father Brown? You could kill yourself. He figures out that Annie Marie was hit with the oar, and then the oar was put back in the boat. A.K.A. murder. Murder. Murder most foul. The next day is the actual funeral itself, and who should show up again but our beloved Hugo. My funny Valentine, sweet comic Valentine. Hi, Hugo. He's so handsome. (laughs) And Father Brown kind of assumes that he's there to pay his respects, but he's like, no, no, no. I'm here to arrest the colonel. So... 
while he and Father Brown are basically dragged off to this back room to talk to the colonel about it, mm-hmm. who knows why Father Brown is there. Right. We do hear uh, more about Lady Felicia and everybody talking about why, like how John is a communist, which if you missed the Trotsky thing earlier, which I did, honestly, like because it was just such a throwaway uh-huh. comment, this really was like uh-huh. putting it in there. But also, this scene is another one where Father Brown isn't present, and Father Brown wasn't present for the Trotsky comment either. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely one of those things where it's like trying to teach the viewer something that the main investigator may or may not know. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course, of course. And once again, that's dramatic irony. We know all about John Bennett. I... See, I know we talked about dramatic irony in a different episode, but I honestly, I really didn't like it here. Me neither, because, so, dramatic irony can be good if you do it correctly, but if you have to do a lot of, like, explaining, like, see, the dramatic irony assumes that we know this shit, and so you do not have to explain it. When you explain it, it's, it's killing it. It's making your reader, it's making your viewer or reader look stupid. If you write or put in dramatic irony for your reader and then explain it later, it's thinking, it's saying, we think you're a little too dumb to actually have caught that. So here it is. But also at the same time, I don't know if I really enjoy so much as a reader knowing things, knowing clues that the investigator doesn't. Uh, I want to uncover the mystery at the same time the investigator uncovers the mystery. Yeah, I actually, as a cozy mystery reader, I actually like knowing things so that by the time we get to the, you know, the end and the exposition, I am like, I knew that. Right, but for me, the fun part is that you discover it along with them. And whether or not, like, that clue is made explicit through the use of the main character is a completely different yes. thing that that like i wouldn't mind if for instance like father brown had just been present at the moment of the trotsky comment yeah i agree i see what you're saying now yeah and that's the only my, my entire like thing about it but i guess I, i'll talk a lot more about this particular episode but the main reason the main reason that inspector valentine is there to in re- arrest the colonel is that Susie had told the police about his divorce comments. And so obviously that little, you know, your grave will come to you or your coffin will come to you mm-hmm. comment uh, didn't go unnoticed. Yes. Weird how that bot, you know, bit him in the butt. Oh, I know. Oh, I like when Susie is like, uh, am I fired? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> So anyway, the colonel basically gets just gets taken in. But at the day of the actual funeral, they are all dressed up in their, you know, finery. Uh, James is complaining about his shoes not fitting. And this is when Lady Felicia makes her move. Mm. Or rather, he makes his move on Lady Felicia, but you know she telegraphed that shit. Oh, yeah. I'll have to... What, what, what does he say? I have to do all sorts of, like, out of character or silly... Or whatever things to make you stop crying. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good line, though. It would work on me. It would definitely work Not on me. Not that particular <laughs> man, but um, no. But it would definitely work on me with like Chris Hemsworth. Oh. Oh, dude! Fucking anything would work on me with Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, no, but yeah, like, that's true. I mean, just kind of like him blinking at me would work, really. But no, like, if you had just, like, a normal dude that, like, you know, typical Denver hipster with the beard and, like, craft beer, that would work on me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I did sleep with that Australian in Iceland, and he kind of looked like that, so. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad look. Sometimes it's a bad personality, but it's not a bad look. Yeah, I don't know. James would not have worked on me. Both Jameses. James himself, no. Both Jameses. Right? That's the other thing. Lady Felicia talks about having bad taste in men as far as, like, their personalities slash criminal intent uh, at this point. Yes. Like, later in the episode. But, like, also, mm, girl, I think Remember, we've already discussed how there's no dish in England. 
<laughs> there was no dish in England in the 1950s either. They were all dead. There's no dish in Kimbleton? Yeah. <laughs> there's no dish in Kimbleton. There's no dish in Colston. There's no dish any fucking way, especially in the 1950s, because all the soldiers were dead. Oh, God. So. <laughs> that's, oh, God, I'm sorry. Too soon? Get over it. It was too, 70 years ago. Is it too soon? It was 70 years point? ago. Come on, 80 years ago. 70, 80 years ago. Come the fuck on. They're definitely all dead now, so. <laughs> sorry. That is fair, and that's why we have more Nazis. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Too soon? So at the funeral, um, John pulls Ruby into a little confessional, trying to get her to do something for him, which I didn't write down because it clearly wasn't particularly important. But they were all worried about the colonel not being able to attend because obviously he had been arrested and this is his wife's funeral and whatever. But he shows up looking quite smart in his dress uniform because he's posted bail and Father Brown is basically like, oh great, you're here, you can carry, you know, be a pallbearer, we can, we'll have somebody switch out for you. And he's like making all of these excuses as to why he doesn't want to carry his wife's coffin. I'm not matching. Yeah, there's a moment of hesitation in your head where it's like, okay, this maybe this guy isn't a red herring? Like, did he really hate his wife that much? But it's only the briefest of moments because Lady Felicia gets pull, pulls him aside and talks about, uh, you don't overhear the conversation, but later uh, Father Brown goes and relays it to uh, Inspector Valentine, who's also there, and says the colonel couldn't have potentially lifted the coffin at all because he has an old war wound in his back and he wears a girdle so that he has good posture. <laughs> Other thing I thought that was kind of weird about this particular scene is that everybody's in like nice black dresses and suits and stuff like that, and yet Ruby's up front wearing a print. Yeah, but it's a black print. It's a white dress with a print that goes from, like, has gray and black print. Yeah, but, as we learn later, that the, she wouldn't care about that. So she's, okay. she's doing her neophyte communist thing but this is the 1950s and everyone's poor including them as we learn later but it's mm -hmm. a little bit like it's not victorian anymore you wear your best things and if you happen to have a black dress you wear it so that's the blackest dress she probably owns and she's yeah. also 17 so she might have never been to a funeral so she might just not own See, black I would have assumed she would have been to a lot of funerals at this point, <laughs> just because... True, the ones that, that brought back home, but she wouldn't. She didn't have any brothers. Her uncle James, you know... Is in Kenya. Is in Kenya. Yeah. So it is, it is a little different that if you didn't have a black dress, you wore the blackest dress you could. Wonder if... So if Uncle James has been in Kenya for the last 20 years, do you think he was in the Northern Af Northern Africa part of the war? It's possible. That would have been a really interesting backstory. It, I mean, we don't know anything about Uncle James, but if he was a Happy Valley, no. They didn't do that. They were Also fair. They were in university. Um, but we're, okay. There are two types of people that go to upper-class universities, like Cambridge and St. Andrews. They're the people who are royal... Like Prince William and Prince Harry, who go to St. Andrews, and Nathan, who's not royal, but went to St. Andrews, um, who are military families, and they just joined the military. They are commissioned officers upon leaving university. And then there are the people who volunteered for service or who were drafted into service. And so mm -hmm. um, Uncle James would have been at university and hence not drafted into service. And then, and then fucked off to Kenya. <laughs> join some orgies. Yep, probably. Yep. Yep. So, post the... Sorry, my neighbor's dog is freaking out. This this particular podcast is going to have so many ambient noises. We've got the, like, lovely rain sounds from Florence. I, uh, I am in Georgia, and I am on the outer band of the tropical storm. So, it means we're getting wind and rain. Not heavy wind, uh, but uh, about... Uh, let's see, 24 kilometers an hour, which is about 17 miles an hour. Some, some light sprinkling of rain. It's, uh, thunderstorms on and off all evening and into tomorrow. So I apologize. I can't do anything. I've turned off the air conditioning. I'm sitting in the corner of my bedroom, like, where there's no refrigerator <laughs> sounds, but I can't. 
I can't, also can't hear the dog. He's showing up on my recording, so I know it's in there. But my neighbor got a puppy, and it's not used to being alone yet. Aw, that's actually <laughs> quite sad. It's it's really cute. Like, I feel bad, and, like, I don't, like, blame the dog or the owner, because that's it's just a process that you have to go through. <laughs> but it also kept me up to, like, 1 a.m. last poor night. poor thing. Oh, I, I hate know. when dogs are left alone. I hate when that like when when you let them out to go pee or poo or whatever it is that dogs do in your backyard <laughs> in the back garden, and then they're sitting at the door slightly whining. If they're whining for more than like thirty seconds, I'm like, oh my god, I'm the dog in. <laughs> <laughs> Poor pops. So in the next scene, we get the colonel reading the will, which ooh, 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 was a ooh. little bit. Odd. I actually made notes about this. Yes, the colonel is reading the will with the. I know the the attorney is there, but the colonel's reading the will. I made notes about the will scene. Oh, I also made notes about the the. They're drinking an Italian wine called a Barolo. Mm-hmm. It, this is earlier on, and I actually made notes. I really need to actually keep my notebook in front of me so I can. Yeah, that, that's the only way I can keep up with the show. <laughs> Barolo is a very old-fashioned wine. The last vintage was from 2003. Um, it's a very, very, wow. very, very expensive wine, which, knowing what we do later, is very interesting Like mm-hmm. about both the family and this James person. But um, the will scene... He's reading the will, which is a little unusual, the, the barista or the... Uh, the attorney would usually do that. But um, they have Fortnum and Mason's cup tea set. They have a Fortnum and Mason's tea set. It's the, the St. James. What? Oh, oh, I mean, I believe you, but also, holy crap, I'm so impressed you recognize that from, like, a, a two-minute scene. I did work there. <laughs> I did work there. So um, it's the St. James, I think. But the Fortnum and Mason's green is a copyrighted. It's a trademark green. So, um, I'm actually going to look and see if it is the, if it is the, um, St. James, but it is a Fortnum and Mason's, um, thing. Let's see. T, uh, no, uh, T, T sets. Yes. T sets. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's like, wow. Why do you care? <laughs> yes. I know. I do care. It is the St. James. It is the St. James. So it is the St. James. Uh, Gosh. I did have to look that up just to make sure because I didn't want someone Brit picking me about that. Don't fucking Brit pick me <laughs> about playing Fortnum's. A, I work there. B, I buy all my tea from Fortnum's. C, I took Carol to Fortnum's when she visited in London. We had tea there. It was delightful. I know I'm a socialist, but all I want is for Fortnum's to be owned by its workers. That's what I mean by socialism. It could be fully automated luxury socialism for all I fucking care, but Fortnum still needs to be there because I still need my tea. Sorry. So, in the will... (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. So, in the will, um, Lady Felicia gets some personal trinkets of uh, emotional value. Ruby is left the big diamond necklace, and the church is left the rest of her estate in a shocking move. And James is left nothing. Four for you, Father Brown, and nothing for you, Uncle James. Uncle James Coco. (laughs) Uncle James Coco. You know, he's totally fine with it. Like, he plays it off like nothing. He's like, I don't wear jewelry. You know, he, he tries to play it off. But what he really wants to do to honor her memory is restage her final play. Because that was what... And I thought this was a poor bit of writing, honestly. Like, we know that the... In the very, very beginning, right? That Mrs. McCarthy and Father Brown are going to the Adamses for, like, a party. Mm-hmm. But they don't ever mention the damn play. Mm-hmm. They do. Until no, now. No, no, Well, I mean, like... Do. But, like, in the very, very opening scene... Oh, yeah. They mention it a couple of times, but at the same time, like, it's not, like, a theme. And at this point, we're good, what, like, 30 minutes into, like, a 48-minute show? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, like, if this is going to be a theme theme, let's, like, punch that up a little bit. Meanwhile, because of the play, Ruby and John plan to elope. Yes. Then we cut to your typical, uh... 
recap scene. So Father Brown is discussing the situation with Mrs. McCarthy, and he completely just like brushes off John as a suspect because he's a communist. Yes. I thought this was super weird. I like so, yeah, okay, maybe he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> Have you considered or maybe that he's, a liar? he's stealing the diamonds to give him and Ruby a start? Right, like. There are many, many, like, yes, maybe he doesn't actually care about the possession of material things. But he realizes that he has to live in a capitalist society and that money buys shit. Like, uh, yeah, okay, we, communists and socialists, and I I said we, but I mean we, communists and we socialists, realize that we are living in an imperfect society and that we have to live in that society. We can't eschew all things. We still have to pay rent. We still have to work. We are fighting for a better ideal, but we still have to do things living in the society that we live in. Unless we right. unless we fucking run off and create a commune, which does not always work. But Father Brown basically sets his sights on Uncle James uh, because he goes through all the facts and is like, okay, well, this is the only guy that could potentially really have done it. This particular episode confused me a little bit. Like, was this his aha moment? Or? It was his Sherlock moment. It might not have been. Remember when you have gotten rid of all other possibilities, the, the only remaining possibility, no matter how ridiculous, must be the answer. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. It, it didn't follow. It didn't follow your typical pattern mm-hmm. of a cozy mystery TV so show. Just like Sherlock has the most ridiculous possibility, now he's going to look for how James would be that possibility. So that night, some boy, who again literally have not seen at all throughout this episode, drops by to flirt with Susie. <gasps> Sid Carter. <laughs> he's another five British actor. Cheerio, back soon. I don't know, somehow. I miss you. I love you, that's why I'm Cheerio. Not goodbye. He is? He is! Also, I didn't he, recognize he's going anything. to be Sid Carter, but hold on. I, I didn't write him down. Oh, see, I've got it up right here. Father Brown, for the most yes, part. Um, no, 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 no. Penny Dreadful! Yes, he was in Penny, Penny Dreadful. Dreadful! He was Proteus! He was Proteus and Penny Dreadful! Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein's first attempt at creating man. Also, he plays in the um, British remake of uh, Ecta Maniscore, which in um, in English is being human, and it's about uh, androids who look human and uh, discover that they're androids. Wait, is that? No, the being human that I know of, that I think this is the, the being human, is the one about... Uh, werewolves. Oh, is his being human the one about werewolves? Okay, because there's another being, being human. Yeah, it's not like an un unusual name, yeah, no. I don't think. But yeah, no, this being human is the one about a werewolf, a werewolf, a vampire, and a ghost try to live together and get oh, along. That sounds great, actually. I would watch that. But he, he, Sid Carter and Susie, uh, see James leave in the middle of the night. Very suspicious. Yeah, and they, and he's flirting because he flirts with all women, and I feel like that was how we introduced him, how he introduced himself in the series, but not how he ends up. I love Sid Carter. Sid Carter is another one of my he can do no wrong, even though he is quite awful. Um, <laughs> just like Felicia. Felicia is truly... When you get down to it, she's an aristocratic layabout who is cheating openly on her husband often. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're both quite problematic characters, but I don't care. That's the charisma factor right there. The next day, uh, Father Brown shows up at play practice. They're putting it on that weekend. And Lady Felicia is there because she has a starring role as the copper. And he's letting her know her theory. And apparently Mrs. McCarthy phoned the airport and there's no way that James could have flown in from Nairobi when he said he flew in from Nairobi. But still, Lady Felicia is defending him. Because she's getting that dick! (laughs) Yep, basically that. Literally, basically. That's why. I am not into i mean i am into dick that much but not that much like if someone <laughs> like if someone told me hey you know that guy you're dicking down or oh, that's 
dicking you down. I think it's dicking you down. You know the guy that's dicking you down? He might... No, be a feminist that you're dicking down. I mean, yeah, with my strap on. It is red. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know that guy that you're dicking down? Um, He might be a murderer. I might be like, okay, that might be something I need to look at. Thank you. Uh, yeah, especially if this dude has literally solved crimes before. It's not like some rando on the fucking street. Yeah, yeah. it's Father fucking Father Brown. Brown came to me, and I knew his reputation as someone who solves murders, being like, "That dude you're taking down is a murderer." I might be like, "Thanks, Father Brown." <laughs> I'm break up with him. Right? Sorry, the dick is not that good. <laughs> this isn't Hannibal. <laughs> Please don't let that be the title of the show. The dick is not the title of the show. So it's the day of the play. Father Brown is there. He tries to buy a playbill from Susie, who's like doing all of the basically stage manager-y type Mm -hmm. stuff. But he pulls a coin out of his pocket and it's Italian. And clearly you can't pay with that. And he's like, oh man, comes in from the rectory. And Mrs. McCarthy's like, no, silly. I keep all the Italian coins because I'm going to Italy at some point. I'm going on a pilgrimage to Rome, which makes sense. I mean, yeah, but also you're still keeping all the Italian coins from the rectory. Well, no, because there's no way. What can you do with them? There's no, like, bureau de change in fucking, where the fuck are we, Pemberton? So she's not doing any harm. People are actually doing the rectory more harm by not putting real coins... Although I feel bad because these are veterans coming from World War II who are just putting money in the collections. Mm -hmm. And so they're all sitting down and waiting for the play to start and the inspector comes in again. My funny Valentine Sweet comic Valentine He's there to arrest somebody and Father Brown's like, Okay, well, great. Here's why James is guilty. Blah 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 blah. And he's like, no, 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 bitch. Uh, I'm here to arrest Lady Felicia because she's having an affair with the Colonel. And the Father Brown's like, what the fuck? And he's like, yeah, dude. James says that he totally saw them getting it on. And then, and Father Brown is like, you know, this is a diversionary tactic. Although, although, I mean, if Lady Felicia, I mean, I wasn't actually too surprised. Lady Felicia could have been having an affair with the colonel at one point, just not currently. Well, yeah, though she does say she was the best friend of Annie. Yes. So. Yes, true. If we know Lady Felicia to be a good person. Yeah, she is a good person. Which I think we do. Like, then we would not, as viewers, ever suspect her of having an affair with her best friend's husband. Best friend's husband, yeah. Her best friend's husband. Somebody else's husband? Maybe. Oh, definitely. I think she actually has. But her best friend? Very true. Nah. So the play begins, and Susie informs, uh, like, Lady Lady Felicia comes up to Susie, and she's like, hey, you've got, since you're running the costumes, you've got the wrong shoes for James and his lady costume. Well, look, she's like, no, get heels for him, and he's, she's like, oh, just get Annie's heels, or just, yeah, they'll fit fine. No, no, they won't. No, no, they won't. And so, but Susie's like adamant that she has pulled James's old heels out of the attic. And like she's in shows on the shoe that he's got his name inside of his shoes. Mm -hmm. So Lady Felicia finally cottons on that something's real wrong here. Yes. And she doesn't really confront him, confront him. She just puts his shoes down, which is so British Mm -hmm. of her. Yeah, she. it's a British confrontation. You're a murderer. I'm going to show you that I know you're a murderer and not leave the situation immediately. <laughs> How fucking British. I'm sorry. <laughs> this whole show. This whole show. She would rather get murdered than actually confront anybody. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's just... That's just British. <laughs> She'd rather be murdered than be impolite. Yes. <laughs> But their scene is right up next. James and, and the cop scene uh, is right up next. And under the guise of the play, so she rushes out on the stage. She sees Inspector Valentine in the audience. She goes, help police, even though she's dressed like a policeman. 
And then uh, James come in, comes in, and his character literally is supposed to be bundling her into a trunk and, like, shooting her and stuff. And so he bundles her into a trunk. They hear a shot. And Inspector Brown, er, Inspector Brown, Father Brown is like, oh, no, what the hell, brah? But everybody's, like, looking at him weird because it's a play. Yes. But then, right after that, the colonel rushes out onto the stage because they the safe has been broken into. And Father Brown immediately puts two and two together and rushes out of the building and gets Sid Carter, the chauffeur, to drive after a woman in dark clothes. Yes. Uh, and he's like, I hope you had overheard where she was going. He didn't say he, which is interesting. Because mm-hmm. he, he clearly knows He what's didn't going give on. Sid any indication that he knew what was going mm-hmm. on. And Sid was like, that was just an ugly woman. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So the inspector arrests John um, and suspects... So he suspects John for trying to uh, steal the yes. jewels... And he suspects Lady Felicia of trying to murder, of murdering Annie. But he can't find Lady Felicia at all. Which, again, this stretched the bounds of believability a little bit here. That the inspector would be that bad at his job, having seen everything that just happened. And now it's like, oh, look at this lower class bumbling detective idiot who doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But they catch up with a train, which uh, is apparently where they were going, uh, the lady was going to. And Father Brown is crawling through the, the aisles looking at everybody's shoes. But he does eventually catch James in the train because he's still wearing his shoes. And we find out that James was the nanny's son. And the whole reason he came back was to basically, like, try and convince the Adamses to give him his dead mother's like what he thought he his dead mother deserved from a pension mm-hmm. and we find out that it wasn't a lack of love for the Adamses not giving him, uh, his dead mother buried like a pauper a pension but because the Adamses are broke as dirt yes. and so Father Brown does his whole turn yourself in it'll be better for everybody it's manslaughter you accidentally killed Annie which again we only have James's word yeah. on that and the flashback yes. sequence so like we as viewers are again reassured of something that Father Brown couldn't possibly know and you know James is like okay fine I'll turn myself in but he runs to escape and as he jumps out of the back of the train and dashes onto another track, he just gets hit, like, full-on by an oncoming train. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty shocking. But we find out, kind of in the little wrap-up, that the flying stars were completely fake as paste. Because um, Ruby is talking to her dad about how the estate is basically going to be repossessed. Because mm-hmm. they are poor as dirt. Mm-hmm. Father Brown shows up. And he's basically trying to convince, this is, maybe, this is one of those scenes where I didn't particularly enjoy Father Brown himself. Mm -hmm. Like, he's very self-righteous about how the estate is representing, losing the estate is a freedom that he would never have otherwise. And while he's not necessarily wrong about that, it does seem to completely disregard any other yeah. feelings. They're also, it wasn't as if, what the fuck was he gonna do? There was no, like, social housing in the 1950s. He would be completely right. homeless. He would be a war vet with a minuscule pension. And no home. What the fuck was he gonna do? And... Join the monastery? <laughs> and it's not only that, but, like... They're losing, like, their traditional home. Like, that's a family house. Like, there is a lot. Like, Ruby grew up there. Like, I mean, even for people who sell houses and make money off of them, it is difficult to lose, like, leave your Mm -hmm. house if you've lived there for a really long time. This is a full-on fucking estate. And fake James (laughs) mentions that, that his mother had worked for the family for 45 years. So that house had been there for at least 45 years. That's generations, that's memories, that's like... And mm-hmm. I know priests take a vow of poverty. So I absolutely understand that Father Brown's relationship with material things would not be the same as any other human, basically. But mm-hmm. 
if you look at his home, he has a lot of comforting things. And ask yeah. him to get rid of all of what gives him comfort. Ask him to get rid of his chessboard. Right? Yeah, so I just didn't particularly like this scene. But as all good happy things happen, you know, as all good happiest mysteries do, this ended in a happy ending. John and Ruby get married. Her father is there to support her. And it ends with Lady Felicia flirting with the real Kenyan Uncle James. Yes. I guess not Kenyan, but back from Kenya, Uncle yes. James. Did you figure it out? Yes. Yeah, I can't. This was obviously my second watch through. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if I figured it out this first time, mm-hmm. but it had, like, I had to have figured it out the first time. Yeah. This is a really obvious one. Yeah, this one is quite obvious, and not even with the Sherlock moment. There were so many things, like, the Italian hints were very mm-hmm. obvious. Like, yeah, we didn't even talk about those, but yeah, like, all throughout the show, they... When Lady... I figured it out when Lady Felicia was like, he knows so much about the Vatican, he could even give you a run for your money. Right? And I was like, mm. There are not a lot of Catholics in Kenya. Just gotta, just gotta put that out there. Um, (laughs) Just, they are Christian, just not Catholic. Um, So it was like, it was quite interesting. Did you like this episode? Um, It's not my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) I like Father Brown more than you do. So overall, each episode has its own thing. There were things in this episode I like, like scenes in this episode that I liked, and um, I I liked how we were introduced to Sid Carter. Mm-hmm. And I yeah yeah I think there's I think there, I'm the same way. There were definitely things in the episode I liked. I actually really liked uh, learning more about Lady Felicia's philandering. Yeah, I liked. Like that very, that scene where Father Brown wasn't afraid to look a little silly to try and solve the murder. Mm -hmm. Um, I like more that we saw more Father. What I didn't like is that, well, it's what I actually don't like about British people. Is that literally everything, (laughs) everything in this show could have been solved with someone saying, we're in debt. Yeah. Literally everything. Like, Like, I know that's a hard conversation to have. But one of the things that British people absolutely do not in any way, shape, or form discuss is money. Mm-hmm. They don't like talking about it. They don't like... It doesn't exist. <laughs> they don't like... Even though the class system is hard and rigid and there is no social mobility whatsoever, no one discusses anything about money. I What I didn't like about this episode had nothing to do, I guess, really with the characterization so much. Mm-hmm. But it just it felt like... A too obvious mystery. Mm-hmm. Like that was what I, it felt like it was talking down to me. Yes. From a writing perspective. Yeah, and I can see that. And I that think too. that's what I really didn't particularly like about it. Like I wouldn't give it like a one star review, but it was clearly like a solid two, two and a half. Mm-hmm. You know? It wasn't great, kind but of thing. that's okay. So here's the thing. G, once again, when you're putting this 19 teens character and these 19 teens story, and you're trying to new them up, it's a little hard. And this might have been one of those times. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, I can get that. I think I think there were some really great little references to the time frame. Mm-hmm. The whole Happy Valley thing mm-hmm. was great. Like, I thought that was a really interesting little detail that yeah. maybe British people would have picked up on, but maybe they wouldn't have also, especially if they're watching it now like we are. Yes. But... If you did know your history, it would add a lot of richness to the concept Mm -hmm. of what was going on there. The only thing I knew about it is that there was, like, a murder mystery about it. There was actually a murder mystery about Happy Valley. It's actually quite good. It's very interesting. Maybe we'll have to watch that for a bonus episode or something. I know, right? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, so there you go. Did you like your wine? Uh, yes. Here's the problem. I did eat a special mint before... I drink the wine, which is a bad idea, because the menthol is just that. But it actually didn't do anything to the taste. It tasted like a regular old Chardonnay. Pairs nicely with menthol? Yeah, apparently. (laughs) It pairs nicely with menthol, cigarette, and licorice. 
<laughs> uh, this is a really good Pinot Noir. And, and to further recommend it, screw top. Oh, uh, yeah. Mine was, see, my $7 wine was definitely corked. Not corked. Yeah. Not literally corked. But had Not a cork in it. Yeah, had a cork in it. So, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> and that's all we have for you today. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, definitely follow our uh, wine and wine murder night account. <laughs> definitely follow wine murder night so that you can vote for what we watch next after Father Brown, as well as get updates on any of the episodes that we will be notching next. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Classlicity. And I am at SDM Right. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. We also have an RSS feed that we post online. So if you have a different uh, podcast app, uh, app <laughs> fuck, why am I even making a podcast when I can't say words like podcast and app? you can use our rss feed to subscribe on your favorite podcast app fuck (laughs) tell your friends tell your aunts the intro and the ending because i couldn't say any of these fucking words (laughs) i've had two glasses of wine this is harder than it should be what's weird is that there are no r's in any of these words (laughs) except rss yeah, there you go. And we'd like to thank Anton Koryakov for the use of Simple Life off the album Restart for our intro and outro song. Uh, and next time, we will be watching Father Brown, Season 1, Episode 3, The Wrong Shape. Till next time! Bye!